When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. And on today's episode, we'll be reflecting on Fulham's win in their final match of the pre-season Portugal Tour. A nice, comfortable 3-1 win against Marco Silva's former side, Estoril. We'll look back at Mana Solomon. He is finally a Fulham player. And we'll talk about Kevin Babu, who is all set to join Fulham if reports are to be believed. In part two, we're going to be speaking to friend of the pod Philippe Eau all about the W88 sponsorship and his views on that spoiler alert they're not pretty and we finished the pod today with some correspondence as always and I'm joined for the first part by the regular crew of Peter Rutzler hello hello hi Sammy how are you good thank you and Jack Collins hello hello Sammy hello listeners how are we doing Fine, thank you. That is a jazzy shirt you're wearing. It's like kind of like New Zealand um, Maori kind of design vibes. It's Club America's Dia de los Muertes shirt, the Day of the Dead shirt um, that they released last oh, season, um, which I cool. really like because it has all these funky patterns on it. So yeah, vibes. Have we discussed on the podcast before that? I'm pretty sure James Bond invented that day. Uh, yes, I think we have. We have, sure. I think we have discussed this. Yeah. Even I remember this. Oh, that's a bit boring that I've come up with the same point as I did before the last time you wore that shirt, clearly. Didn't didn't we, didn't like Jack conclude quite forcefully that James Bond definitely did not invent that? I think what we, what we concluded was that I think that the day of the dead has been a thing for literally thousands of years. Um, but the parade isn't, is this what we concluded? That the parade was actually something that was uh, built off James Bond. That's what I think. I think that's what we came okay. to the conclusion on. Yeah, I think that, that rings a bell. Yeah, here you are. In the 2015 James Bond film Spectre, the opening sequence features a Day of the Dead parade in Mexico City. At the time, no such parade took place in Mexico City. One year later, due to the interest in the film, the government desired to promote the Mexican culture. The federal and local authorities decided to organize an actual Dia de los Muertos parade through right Fulham fans are definitely going to know about this now like you know when you you learn something you have to repeat it that's what every year so if we repeat every year this is just going to be ingrained it's not even every it's not even at the right time it's every year that every time that I wear this shirt on the pod (laughs) it's not the right time at all (laughs) so that means we're going to mention it again this year excellent again keep up the repetition here we are there is a nice little James Bond segue to Estrell if you want yeah uh, so obviously they played in Estoril, and Estoril was a very luxurious place. Um, there's actually a couple of links to James Bond, you know. So obviously there's Casino Estoril, which is like one of the biggest in Europe. Apparently okay. inspiration for Casino Royale. Mm. Wow. And I think Ian Fleming actually visited Estoril during the Second World War, which is like a hotbed for spies, which is what I was reading when I was doing some uh, background research for, for Marco's return. So, uh, yeah, there is James Bond inspiration 
for Estoril in the in the game. So yeah, take that for you, Sammy, and you can use that as a nice little link into the game. I might have to use, yeah. I might have to rename you as the Sultan of Segways. I've had that, <laughs> held that link for ages, but I think it might be you now, Peter. You're uh, you have the crown. You have the staff. I'm learning. I'm learning from the best. Well, it was Fulham's 007 that got the assist for the first goal, Andreas Pereira (laughs) to Alexander Mitrovic uh, to open the scoring uh, on Sunday. And Jack, I thought it was an all-round encouraging performance. Um, Estoril obviously are not the calibre of Benfica, but still a Premier League side that Fulham did sweep past with considerable ease. It it felt like a a convincing win, which was what was needed because as much as friendly results don't matter, losing 5-1 is never great. No, it's not. Um, And I think that there was a genuine sort of sense of harbinger of doom around the club last week after that result. And, you know, that's what can happen. It's about changing the mindset as much as anything. Uh, SRL are not Benfica, as you say, but they did finish ninth in the Primeira last year. So they're not, you know, a trifling team either. This is a side that they kick around and and, and have, have done well. Um, they were having, you know, a, a very decent season, um, especially in the first half of it, tailed away a little bit in the back end. Um, but this is, you know, this is a decent side. And they also, you know, it's worth remembering that Benfica start their season a week before Fulham. This weekend, or, or this week actually, they go into their qualification for the Champions League. So that they need to be on slightly hotter form. Their preseason would have started a little bit more, you know, imminently than, than Fulham's would have. Estoril are aiming for the same date. The Primeira kicks off on the same day as the Premier League. So these are two teams more at similar stages of their development. And, and at that point, as you say, you'd expect a lower Premier League side to be beating a mid-table Primeira side generally across the course of, of where the gap is. So we're pretty much on course here. Um, and, and I think it was a, it was a good performance, a good result. And, you know, the, the only, the only caveat I would, would give it, I, I was really pleased. I thought the performance was, was really impressive to be perfectly honest. And I enjoyed watching it, but, they were incredibly poor at defending set pieces and we scored two obviously in quick succession, um, but caused kind of trouble with them throughout the game, I thought. And it's worth pointing out one that it's a good thing that Fulham have set piece weapons at our disposal. It's going to be massively necessary. We talked about this last year. We'll talk about it again, but caveat that they were very bad, very bad <laughs> from corners of free kicks. <laughs> It, it reminded me of a few championship opponents we played last season, particularly Bristol City always stood out when we beat them 6-2 at home, where Mitrovic had like three of the easiest goals he'll ever score, where he was just like unchallenged for headers. And you were like, what are you doing? Like, if there's one player, one player on this whole team that you make sure you mark, it's, it's Alexander Mitrovic. Uh, but Peter, good deliveries, one from Pereira, as I mentioned, one from Harry Wilson, set us on our way. And... I just like to see Mitrovic scoring, whether they're easy goal. Mitrovic doesn't care how, whether they're easy. I I just want him to be in a goal scoring run of form because we know that he is actually quite a streaky player. It just happened to be that last season, his streak never stopped basically um, apart from maybe one run of the city in earlier in the season. But as long as he keeps on ticking over the goals, then I'm confident that he will just keep on scoring. So that is the most important thing with the easy hard Mitrovic scoring is a very good thing for Fulham. Yeah, no, and um, that's you're, you're right. I mean, that's that's one of the key positives from the game is that Mitrovic is scoring. You know, I think I think his all round performance was pretty good. I still think he's is a little undercooked at the moment, but 
you, you still got to see some of what he was good at last year. There was one really nice pass to Harry Wilson around the corner in the first half where Harry Wilson was in and um, flag went up and it pretty looked like he was onside, but it's you know, difficult to tell without a, a good replay. Um, and yeah, Jack's right. I mean, the defending from set plays wasn't great, but what's encouraging is that clearly this is something that, um, and we know that Fulham worked tirelessly on these last year. It's why they scored the most from set plays last year in the championship. Um, and it will be so important next year. And it was one thing that was lacking under Scott Parker a couple of years ago. I think Fulham were second fewest number of goals from set plays in the Premier League that season. Um, that has to change because there will be there'll be a lot of games where Fulham won't have much of the ball in open play. They won't be able to play the way they want to in the same patterns of play and they'll need to find other ways of scoring. And um, clearly they've worked on a couple of routines. One of those with Mitrovic behind the goal line and sort of darting in front, which we saw against Benfica. I think Andreas Pereira clearly has a, an excellent delivery from a dead ball, which, you know, Fulham are really blessed with that. I think Solomon can also take set plays. So they're going to be fighting over corners, <laughs> corners, free kicks, but this, that's a great thing. Great yeah. thing to have, you know, it's a really important weapon. Um, so that's all encouraging familiar patterns of play as well. Um, you know, it seems like the new signings have very quickly understood what Marco Silva wants from uh, his Fulham teams. It doesn't look like there's been much change in terms of system at all in possession and out of possession, a 4-3-3 three, three with, with Reed dropping in alongside Paulinho and out of possession. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in general, it's pretty encouraging. I didn't know Paulinho had that in his locker with that long-range strike. It's very nicely yeah. struck. I still I still think he's a little, little off it, like maybe sharpness-wise. Um, a couple of moments where he's just been slightly slower, but it's to be expected, as Jack was saying, we're not, we're not actually there yet in terms of fitness. But what... The good things you saw from him is his ability to break up the play, his physical presence in there. Um, I really do like the way he sort of balances Reed. You know, I think we, we there was an expectation that that would be the case, but when you actually see it, you know, Reed's able to just get everywhere, buzz around, fight fires wherever they are across midfield, and Polina's just there masking mm-hmm. that uh, that back back four. So, yeah, th- th- there are a lot of encouraging things from the game, as Jack said, and I think that's was probably needed because it's been you know optimism has been a bit a bit obscured by how recruitment has gone in general. But um, I think that the only thing was was just that they did look frail at the, at the back. And I think that's expected. And we all know that they need to sign, ideally, centre-half, two centre-halves probably. Um, and then obviously they're looking at, at Bernd Leno in goal as well. So uh, that wasn't something new, but in terms of the rest of the performance, it was encouraging. And um, that's kind of, kind of what you'd want from a game like this. Yeah, Jack, I'm looking at Fulham's team now. I look at that first eleven. And I think if that started against Liverpool, I mean, it's about Ream, but we might come on to that. I think it's fine. It's the, it's the lack of depth everywhere, basically, that's that's slightly worrying. If any of these players, if, if Mitrovic gets injured, if Polina gets injured, if one of Wilson or Solomon, I guess maybe you could put in Cabano, but you, there's not, just not a lot of depth across the squad. If Pereira gets injured, I don't know who fills in for him. That's the biggest concern right now. It's just the, the, the lack of depth, lack of numbers um, in the squad. But the first 11 couple of additions to be made is is getting there yeah i think obviously fulham fans will want to see a center back and a goalkeeper in before that liverpool game ideally before this vrl game to be perfectly honest with you to get you know that little bit of cohesion under belts etc etc but yes it's getting there in terms of where we are and, and that's to be applauded that there is an element of if you have a first 11 and a couple of change, you know, a couple of changes you can make off the bench. You know, your Bobby Reeds, your Niskins Cabanos, who can you can make a difference in game still. 
um, then I think that there is something to be said for getting to that first game. And, you know, that's when recruitment doesn't quite need to be as pre-season, if you know what I mean. It, you know, if yeah. you're looking at depth, if the first 11 is there and everyone's happy with it, you know, and, and the manager is comfortable with it, then that is okay. Um, and, and I think that there's you know, something to be said for if you can get that 11 out and you can play a first couple of games with them and get them, you know, gelling together, you can bring in depth replacements across the course of August. That's that's not a problem. The problem is that we're very, very close and there are still two key positions in goalkeeper and centre-back where Marcus Silva doesn't appear to be happy. And that, I think, is is the kind of black cloud hanging over everything. If, if this had all been done, if there was a keeper and a centre-back in and Fulham were now looking at depth options, if we're talking about Mbabu coming in as a, you know, as a, a rotating right-back, you know, and he was coming in the week of the Liverpool game, the week after the Liverpool game, I don't think there'd be that many people completely mad at it because they're, you know, Kenny Tete is a perfectly fine right-back option in the Premier League. He's a perfectly capable player at this level. So bringing in a, a you know, a, a rotational right-back is, is an important thing for Fulham because it's, you know, across the course of the season, given Tete's injury record, etc. But you, you don't need that pre-season what you do need is your first 11 set in stone so that when those two you know when that season does kick off you're giving yourself the best possible chance now that the 11's near i agree with you but having two key positions out of the 11 and i think at the very least at center back and goalkeeper not set makes me a little bit uncomfortable still and i think that whilst there have been some really good signings some really impressive signings this is still an issue. Yeah, Peter, Marcus Silva uh, spoke to Abola, uh, the Portuguese newspaper, um, and was pretty frank. Um, similar vibes to what you reported on uh, a few weeks ago in The Athletic. Uh, he said, the market has been difficult for us, but we have to act faster. We have to have more reinforcements for when the Premier League starts. So that frustration clearly boiling over. And um, I mean, the goalkeeper is one, Bert Leno, it seems like it's getting there, but centre-backs is still thin on the ground in terms of rumours, links. We kind of got Diop, not sure. I, I, I haven't heard too many other rumours unless there's something I've missed. It is, I'm, I'm de- I mean, the panic button's been pressed pretty much by everyone. Yeah, I, I think the problem with centre-back as well is that if, if Tosin or Reem gets injured, um, then there's a problem. Obviously, Kevin Mbappé is close and he has played there before, but yeah, I, mean, I mean, I mean, but Congolo is not really in the picture at the moment. The I mean, squad. of course, yeah, of course, yeah. Like, I mean, what would happen presumably is if if Congo doesn't go anywhere, then um, then you get reintegrated as as the season progresses because you're still there. Um, but for now, that's not really seen as a as an option. I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> unless there's something more progressed that I'm not aware of, and and there is something closer than at the moment doesn't seem that way. I think Diop's the one everyone's been looking at. Obviously, that injury to West Ham's new centre half Naif Aguirre, is that how you pronounce it? I think. Um, I mean, that's that's a question mark, isn't it? He had surgery on his ankle, so um, what that means for it, I'm not sure. So yeah, it's that's the priority, and I think Jack's right. I think you need you need a base, you need the base, and then once you once you have the base, you can add those additions that may come later in the window, who may just suddenly be a real dial mover for you who wouldn't otherwise be available. And I think that's what Fulham are trying to do. 
but obviously they just haven't got there with, with centre backs, which is clearly, clearly, as you as Sammy as Sammy said, is is the priority. And um and then you can start filling out a little bit. But I think for me, I mean the Liverpool game is one thing and you just don't want it to be a, a an you know a, a, a difficult occasion, which it can it can really can be when you're playing a team of that quality. You want to have the strength to repel them. Um, you know, it's I mean the last time the Premier League it was Arsenal, wasn't it? And it was it was very, very easy for them. Um it's the two games after that are so important. They're so important. You know, you want to be in a position that, that you can you can take points. It's it's Brentford and Wolves, isn't it? So yeah, you've got to you've got to take points. At least you've got to well, you've got to take points from those games, I think. Um these are the games you don't want to be writing writing off or you want to be challenging in them. You don't want to be in a, in a, in a difficult situation. So um, yeah, important. I mean, it's, we've said the same things every week. It's important time. Um, <laughs> it's not Fulham, it is. Um, but it's, uh, it's not just Fulham. I think Bournemouth, I mean, Bournemouth, in a, I mentioned this last time as well, but I mean, they want centre-backs and they have, they're not, they haven't recruited them. Um, Forrest are the only one who's sort of making, making signings. Um, but it seems that Fulham are trying to play a run up in terms of those who they want to bring in, um, to get that quality if they can. So, yeah, yeah, it comes a point. I think uh, if you're looking at two centre backs, which I presume they are, you, you're going to need one who's more of a depth and one who's more of a first choice. I mean, ideally, you'd have two brilliant defenders, but at this point, well, if Ream gets injured or, or Tosin gets injured, then it's it's tricky. I mean, Jack, I've seen a couple of people online suggesting, like, actually, if you started Tim Ream, I don't. Th- is it a disaster? Like, is it a complete disaster? Will Liverpool tear him a new one? Or actually, will he be okay? Obviously, he made that mistake in the Estoril game to give away the penalty, but it was a bit... I, I thought it was a bit of a soft penalty, to be honest. Um, I didn't think it was a fully ream culpable um, for that one. He played brilliantly last season. And, and I do think this Fulham team is set up differently to the way that Parker set up, to the way that um, Slavisa set up. And yes, we saw Ream get very exposed during that Slavisa season it was it was horrific for him he just almost shouldn't have been out on the pitch it was that bad but Reem has grown a lot and he came up against pacey strikers last year and for the most part they didn't actually cause him that many issues because he had Tosin alongside him I there's been something ever since I remember when we spoke to Reem and we spoke to him being like can you play in the Premier League and Reem was kind of basically said yeah why not and he's spoken in interviews since where he's kind of not ruled out the fact that he might play. I, I just would be interested from your opinion, whether you think that playing Ream in that first game against Liverpool would be an unmitigated disaster. Lots of people seem to think it would be. Uh, I, I don't think that, I don't think that it's like a write off to play Tim Ream in the Premier League, right? Let's, let's have that out first and foremost. I, I don't think that there's, it's the worst thing of all time or that anyone's thinking that this is, you know nothing. I don't think it's also fair to say that that Liverpool are one of the the best teams in the Premier League, right? And this attack of Luis Diaz, Mohamed Salah, Darwin Nunez, Diego Jota, Roberto Firmino, Fabio Carvalho, Harvey Elliott <laughs> is an absolutely scintillating forward force, right? It's a really, really, really impressive, well drilled, cohesive unit, most of which have been playing together for a long time. And I worry that they will have too much for us in the way that they have too much for quite a lot of teams. And that's the kind of thing that you're looking at, right? And 
I saw them tear Leipzig apart midweek in a in a preseason friendly. And again, caveats, usual caveat supply. Don't read too much into preseason, but this is a team who seem to be finding their groove. I think the Fulham need to be absolutely on one on that first day if we're going to get anything out of it. And I, I part of me worries that actually part of this might be the fans. You know, if you see that lineup and it's Tosin and Reem and you're sitting in the pub at 11.30 on Saturday morning, how many of the fans are going to be like, well, that's that then. You know, what, you know what, you want the atmosphere to be fervent. You want it to be fevered. You want it to be, this is the Premier League. We're back. We're going to make a statement. And I think that if that's the lineup after the entire fan base has spent the entire summer crying out for centre-back signings, I think people are going to be stressed out. And I don't think that's a good thing to have when you're going into a game of, you know, against opposition of this calibre. But I'd also be equally concerned, whoever we sign, yeah, that's um, true. unless it's Virgil van Dijk, that they're going to have I'd been <laughs> had about a week and a half to be integrated into a new um, centre-back position. If it was Tosin and Ream starting, but we'd made a signing and they're on the bench... I think I'd be fine with that. Yeah, I think that's, I, I don't that's know. different. It, it, it comes back as well. Like, as I was saying earlier, the more important games are the ones that follow it. Brentford and Wolves. This is Liverpool. Like, I mean, come on, be realistic. It's free hit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're going to they're gonna do it to any team. They're, like, the, their attack force is ridiculous. Any team in Europe, you know, yeah, but in the there's, world. There's something, okay, there's one thing losing to Liverpool. There's another thing, you know, if you go out on the first there's day. There's nothing being, being humiliated. Exactly. Yes. You go yeah, out on the course, first day and get absolutely spanked. It's going gonna, it's gonna to, one, set a really bad precedent and a tone for the season. And two, heads will go down immediately, not only in the fans, but in the, you know, in the dressing room as well. It's going to take a lot to, to galvanise that. That, I think, is, is tricky. Yeah, I, I think there will be games like that this season, judging from the, I mean, what, what it seems like, how Fulham are going to play this year and how Silver wants his teams to play and how he's always done before. They're going to try and play on the front foot. So there's going to be some some difficult games. There's going to be some difficult results, and you, of course, you want to be in a strong position as possible to mitigate that. But I think that's also going to happen. <laughs> well, I mean, let's move on to uh, a signing that has been confirmed, Manor Solomon. Uh, I thought we were going to have to wait till the first of August, but uh, unexpectedly on Monday evening, uh, Fulham uh, announced uh, the protracted news that Israeli winger Manor Solomon has officially signed for Fulham on a season long loan. Um, Peter, we have been over the permutation and combinations of the deal, whether it's kind of ethically right the way that we've done it. I don't want to go over old ground again for the fourth time in this podcast. Uh, it's basically just the best <laughs> of this podcast. show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm just interested to hear about the player himself. Finally confirmed. Um, we've been talking about him for a long time, um, but you, you spoke to a couple of um, Israeli journalists uh, about Mana Solomon, uh, getting a little bit of insight into not just for the player, but the man himself. Uh, he seemed very excited to have finally got the move completed uh, with all of the uh, social media announcements that, that Fulham put out. And, and I'm glad that this one is, is over the line at least. Yeah, it's nice to, to talk about the player himself. And I think we've, you know, we've touched on it before, but this is, he is a really talented player. Um, I think he's a really good signing. He fits straight into what to this current system under Silva. I found it interesting that he used a, a private analytics company to assess what club would be good for him and found that Fulham would be perfect under Silva. 
in terms of how he plays, he's a he's a very he's a small guy. He's I think he's like five seven, five um, six. But he's, he's actually short. Five, than okay, me. five six. I'm giving him credit. <laughs> um, um, he's very quick. He's nimble. Uh, he plays off the left mainly. That's his that's his preferred position coming in onto that right foot. Very good in one on one situations. I think in terms of style, he's actually quite similar to to Naskin Scabano. So straight away, you can see what what the thinking is here. Um, you know, he he came through a really good academy at, at Maccabi Petitikva, who I think also had uh, Lila Bada. Yeah. Um, so he's at Celtic, another young, promising player. Um, and the Israeli youth teams have got some good players coming through, actually. They got to the final of the Under-19 Championships, didn't they, this year? Uh, European Championships. Yeah, um, Oscar Gluck, very good player. Yes, yes, he was mentioned as well, actually, to me. Um, so, uh, yeah, he's seen as sort of like the leading light of that generation. You know, they've known about him for a long time. He obviously went to Shakhtar Donetsk, where, which is quite a, a big step for him. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a club that can give talented players a, a platform you know he's, he's he's had interest from other clubs you know Arsenal looked at him almost signed for Manchester City in 2017 so we're talking high caliber here um and then I think the season that was most impressive was 2020 to 21 um that's where we saw uh obviously scored against Real Madrid twice he scored against some home and away in the Champions League um but he he really sort of kicked on in that year um I think before the appointment of Roberto De Zerbi. I'm not mistaken. Um, but uh, yeah, like, I think the season before the curtailment due to the Ukraine war, I think was a little bit more tricky, sort of a bit more in and out of the team as they adopted to sort of a new style. Um, but I think what was quite interesting in terms of the feedback I got is how with Fulham probably going to have to play more on the counter-attack this year, probably going to have more moments where they will be 30 to 40 yards further back. But that space, that ability to exploit opposition back lines will really suit him. Um, he seems like a player who can go beyond Mitrovic, can create and can score. So, yeah, I think it's exciting. I think it's, I think he's a really good player to have in the squad, and I think he's going to make him a, a real difference to to Fulham's survival prospects. Yeah, I'd agree. It's a really nice little signing. This, um, no pun intended. It, you know, one of those players who makes things happen. I, I often refer to them as sparks. Um, you know, who can just pick up the ball and go, and suddenly things happen around them. And I was talking about Luis Sinisteri signed for Leeds in the same kind of way. Um, you know, they can, they just have the ability to change things on a sixpence. And, and Solomon is one of these players. He's a wonderful ball carrier. Um, he's a fantastic dribbler and, and will be able to, you know, get in behind. He's really, really quick as well. He's physically very small. Um, not just in terms of height, but in terms of stature as well. He's, he's really slight and he's really short. Um, it means he has a really low center of gravity, which means he's very difficult to tackle um, and that he has a really good change of direction on him. Um, but physically, there is you know questions to be asked about how he stands up to the rigors of the Premier League. Um, but I'm, I'm really, really excited about this. I think he's a wonderful footballer. Um, it's been interesting watching him this season. The emergence of Mikhailo Mudrik at Shakhtar meant that and and as Peter says, you know, the the change of management and the change of style meant that he has been kind of more in and out of the team. But still, the big occasions, I think, is something that you look at. And the big occasions, they've turned to Solomon. They've looked to him to be the guy in the Champions League. They've looked to him to be the guy, you know, when they're when they're looking at big moments in their season. And and that fills me with confidence because you have a player as talented as, as Mujakir is quite 
quite been hailed quite heavily as the Ukrainian Messi, Madrid, and and people really like him. He looks a bit like Jack Grealish, um, but he, you know, he's a really really talented footballer. Mostly, you know, even when you have a player of that caliber, for Solomon to be keeping him out of the team in major occasions is is a good sign i think and and something that we can we can rely on and and i think he like peter i i doubled out and i think he's going to be important in this survival fight yeah well very excited to see him play and we talked about depth earlier and i like our depth on the wings the fact that we've got Niskins, who we know is is such a good option and whilst i feel Truly sorry for him that he probably won't be starting in the Premier League um, after all he did last season. When you've got the combination of Wilson, Solomon, Cabano, that's a really good place for Fulham to be. And we can interchange those wings as well. Um, so yeah, dead excited uh, to see him line up. Uh, the final two transfers, that I just want to quickly come on to Peter. Kevin and Babu looks imminent. Um, I guess there's even a possibility that that could be announced by the time that this podcast um, is out. Um, is is that true? Yeah, it could, yeah, could well be. I think it's pretty much there now. So um, yeah, that one's done. Good good competition with Kenny Teta. Two internationals, another one with Champions League experience. Um, homegrown as well. Um, a good value deal as well in terms of the fee. You know, five point five million euros and two million added on on top of that. And I think when you compare it to, of course. Fulham would have liked to have kept Neko Williams, but the, uh, the fee was very, very high, 17 million quid that Forrest have, have paid. And as we've discussed before on this flashback pod, um, you know, a good deal for Forrest that may not have been so as good for, for Fulham uh, financially. So, um, yeah, a, a good addition. A, a important Silver likes to have two two options in each position and and, um, and they've got that right back. It's one of the, uh, it's a box tick. Bert Leno. This one seems to have picked up a little bit again. Uh, it went quiet whilst Leno was on Arsenal's tour of America. Arsenal are now back from America, so is Bert Leno. Um, uh, do you see this one kind of just as a matter of time, Peter? Uh, I, you'd think so. You'd think so. Um, it, it's the noises are clearly more positive now. So, um, but let's let's see. Just that has been hasn't been as close, but you know it seems like this. It's moving in the right direction anyway, and. It's clear that you know Arsenal have recruited another goalkeeper this summer. Leno wants to be playing regularly. Um, it's you know it, it seems like a good fit. So and and it would be a very good signing as well uh, if Fulham can can pull it off. Double down on that. It, it's a, it's a good signing. This if it if it comes off. Um, obviously Leicester. Uh, quietly chucking their hat in the ring if the rumours of Casper Schmeichel leaving to Nice. Do facilitate themselves to be true. Um, it would surprise the, me. Though. Oh, this sign, what is that signing? Well, Nice are in Europe. Um, they're, well, they're in the qualifiers for the Conference League, I suppose, which is which is something. Um, but to be perfectly honest with you, he's been at Leicester for what ten years. He might just fancy a bit of sun on the Riviera. And to be honest, that's huge. It's not a bad location. Is it? Was it? You know? It's La Bella Nisa, isn't it? The beautiful Nice, in it's known in in France. So, I mean, it's a, a wonderful place to be, I'd imagine, and and fervent fan base and a club that have been invested in and is on the up. So I don't, I don't completely, I think Nice's goalkeeper has gone to PSV as well, Benitez. So it does make sense that they're after a, a top draw keeper. So yeah, I mean, it would make sense, but Leno's noises out of his camp suggest that he'd rather stay in London. So I think that we might well be okay on this one. All right. Well, we'll take a break there. Afterwards, I'm going to chat to Philippe Claire about our new sponsor. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here, not with Peter and Jack, because I'm going to be joined now by Philippe Eau Claire. Uh, not Philippe's first appearance on Fulhamish. His last one was to chat about much happier times. Uh, Fulham's brilliant victory over Juventus. You might remember our documentary about that uh, a few years ago. Uh, but here today uh, to discuss Fulham's new sponsor. It was officially confirmed on Monday. It is W88 or W88. Uh, not 100% sure uh, what to call them, Uh, a bookmaker uh, that is primarily focused on the Asian markets who have sponsored uh, other different football clubs such as Wolves, Crystal Palace uh, in the past few years. Um, Philippe, I wanted to get you on because you have been covering the subject of these Asian facing bookmakers for quite a while. You have raised uh, a lot of concerns about them. And you tweeted the other day, particularly about Fulham's deal with W88 um, being one of the companies that you are concerned um, how they are using English football uh, to further their interests, uh, which are not always uh, super clear. Um, And I guess that's probably the first point to start with, Philippe, is that no one really knows who W88 are and what they do. Yes, and, and it's it's one of the big issues. Uh, another big issue is the fact that I'm almost certain uh, for having investi- investigated this particular field for something like three years now, uh, that it's, it's very likely that Fulham FC themselves do not have much of an idea who actually, of whom actually owns W88. Uh, it's, it's very peculiar. I know that that sounds extraordinary that a club could sign an agreement, commercial agreement, which is apparently one of the biggest in the, in the club's history uh, with a company and, and know hardly anything about it. You would think that due diligence would uh, kick in. You would think that they would have had some meetings uh, with, uh, you know, high ranking uh, executives from that particular company. Well, that's not the way it works when you're dealing with those so-called Asian facing gambling companies. Basically, what's happened is that since the, I would say, um, 2010s, uh, a number of um, online bookmakers, uh, which are which are targeting uh, an audience of mostly Chinese, but also um, Thai, Vietnamese, um, Indonesian, Malaysian, and more and more Indian uh, customers are using um, English football clubs, particularly Premier League clubs, to advertise their brand. And um, because they can't do that at home, one thing you've got to remember is that gambling on football matches is almost everywhere in Asia uh, illegal and actually criminal. So that makes you think, well, hold on a minute. Why would a company that targets Asian consumers want to spend millions advertising their brand on the shirt of a football club? And the reason is that they managed to use a very complex system of licensing 
using um, headquarters in the Philippines or in Curacao, and using as well the um, the lax attitude of the UK Gambling Commission, to say the least, to establish the base to establish a base in Britain. And so they, they have some kind of, um, they, it's legal. I'm not saying, by the way, I want to say that uh, immediately. I'm not saying Fulham have been doing anything illegal in getting W88 as a sponsor. Just the same way that many other clubs before them uh, have been linked to those Asian-facing um, online bookmakers. It's, it's, we're not suggesting it's illegal. Sure. We're just saying it's wrong. Which is quite a different thing, yeah. um, and it's wrong on so many levels. I mean, first of all, if you were, for example, say um, a British punter, and you decide I'm a Fulham fan, you know, I like to to take a bet from time to time in a football game. Uh, I think I'm going to try and open an account with those guys. After all, you know, they've paid millions to be on our to have their name on our shirt. Well, if you try to do that, good luck to you because you won't be able to register because these guys don't operate in in the United Kingdom. They've got the UK gambling license, of course, but they don't operate here. It's it's a typical thing. Uh, their their custom base customer base is in Asia, where it is illegal to bet, and that's a problem, isn't it? Because your club, and I think, unfortunately, many, many other clubs in the Premier League and, and the EFL could say the same thing, are enabling these people to advertise their brand, which is operating illegally in the countries where most of their customers live. They can do it. Uh, W88, I've got some kind of UK um, company presence. Um, I can tell you, I've seen a picture of their office. Um, a, it's, I, it looks yes. like the garage in which you would uh, basically put two mopeds. <laughs> that gives you an idea of what it's about. And it's a company called Midnight Gaming. And, um, you know, they're welcome if they want to talk to me, because I would love to talk to them, but they're very difficult to find. I'd love to talk to them. Um, they basically got a license, a so-called white label license from the UK Gambling Commission. So, so these guys can operate in the UK and can therefore sign uh, a deal with Fulham Football Club. Now, I'm, I'm going out, and if you don't mind uh, me doing so, I'm going beyond W88, um, and I'm going to so-called Asian-facing gambling companies. Now, it might be that W88 have given Fulham assurances that they had nothing to do with the kind of model that I'm going to describe to you. I am not inferring that they are one of those companies. I am saying this is a question that should be asked of them and yeah. asked of Football Fulham Club. Most of these Asian-facing brands are ultimately controlled by criminals, people linked to triads, yeah. people linked to money laundering, slave trafficking, prostitution, you name it. This is where the money is coming from, and this is where it is going to. We have to ask the question, and the question, unfortunately, and Fulham is not the only culprit in that, the questions are never asked, and I know that because I've been working, investigating this world for three years now. I've started publishing stuff uh, on Yosima, uh, on the Yosima football website in particular uh, for a year. We have failed so far to get any kind of response from any Premier League club on this. Every time we've asked them and we've asked them directly about their relationship with those 
those very opaque companies, the answer we got was basically no answer. And um, I'm, I'm going to try it with Fulham. Um, I'll see what happens and if I get a response or if you get a response please let me know mm. because we, we have a huge problem here of opacity and lack of control and oversight and due diligence on, on who these people are and England unfortunately in English football is a kind of Eden for these companies because elsewhere they cannot operate like that anymore. The problem is that you know uh, clubs, football clubs, are so eager for money wherever it comes from that at times you just close your eyes, put your hand over your mouth and your nose, you just sign the paper, take the money, and you don't ask any questions, and that's a real problem. So effectively, the clubs are turning a blind eye to these companies is, is what they're doing. That's the accusation is it's hard to prove either way what these companies are doing because no one has an absolute clue, but you are just signing a contract without having any idea what these companies do. Now you could be lucky enough to operate with a company that is absolutely clean as a whistle, but the chances are they're almost certainly not. Um, the chances are almost um between zero and none, I think, because uh, those companies operate in, in countries. Again, the operation might be legal, and I'm not saying, again, I insist on that. The problem is not the legality of it. The problem is the uh, morality of it. If they operate and find their customers in countries where gambling is illegal, and not only cr illegal, but criminal. In China, for example, if you place bets on companies like W88, and you're caught, and um, you, you risk... Um, a hefty fine, and in some cases, depending on your position or job in society, uh, you risk jail. A jail to sentence. It's a crime. <laughs> I, I mark a pause here because I, I'm amazed that I have to say these things. And I'm amazed that the amount of work that we have been doing with Yosima and other people have been doing, like Joey Doso for The Athletic as well, mm -hmm. and some other people like Martin Kaladine for Ugly Game. I mean, has had absolutely no echo whatsoever uh, in the mainstream media in England. When we're talking about something really serious here, we're talking about a gambling industry, which is worth about, that's my estimation, about 120 million pounds a year in partnership and sponsorship fees. I'm only talking here about the so-called Asian-facing companies. I'm not talking about the companies that are based in the UK. I could talk about this for a long time, believe me, like Bet365 and Betfair and Unibet mm -hmm. and people like that. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about those who are spe which are specifically targeted at the Asian market, about 120 million quid a, a year. That's a lot of money, isn't it? Yeah. Um, no questions are asked. And, and um, who owns these companies? Sometimes by chance you find out that a particular company was owned by this particular individual. I found out, for example, that um, uh, a former... Uh, Watford uh, sponsor uh, was owned by uh, a guy called Alvin Chow and the Sun City Group in Macau. The guy is currently in jail awaiting trial in China for money laundering, uh, possession of illegal weapons, you, you, you name it. I mean, the, the whole caboodle. And he should be standing, he's standing trial probably as we speak at the moment, and he will probably get about 30 years. The guy's a gangster. Now, I know that this gangster was the man behind Watford's main sponsor for one season. And that's also, he controls interests directly linked to some of the current sponsors of some Premier League clubs. If I, uh, you know, a humble investigative reporter can find out these things, 
I'm sure that the commercial departments and um, due diligence departments of Premier League clubs could find this out as well if they wanted to. But I think that there is a genuine, there's so much pressure put on those commercial departments to find money wherever they can find it, that um, in the end they decide to, as long as the boxes are ticked, that's fine. You know, we, we rubber stamp it and, and that's the end of the story, uh, which is really um, not the way it should be. And um, I, I, don't, I don't want to sound um, patronizing, but especially for a club like Fulham, which has got a completely different image from that. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a club that should be a, a neutral's favorite and, and a club that has, I don't know, a certain moral standing. Oh, that, that's the idea. That's the way you think about it. And you realize, well, actually, no, they're doing exactly the same thing as the others are doing. And that's not right. That's not right. No. One thing I'd like to add, if you don't mind, which is something I feel extremely strongly about. Um, at the moment, there's a huge campaign um, which is led by some really worthy uh, organizations to ban advertising, uh, gambling advertising on Premier League grounds and on television and to have, you know, the names of um, betting companies removed from shirts and so forth. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm all for it. And these campaigns are led very often by people who were the, the partners, uh, the brothers, the sisters, the sons, the daughters, whatever, of people who um, took their own lives because of their gambling addiction. And this has got to, to be supported. I mean, and I do, I try to do as much as I can. But we've got to go beyond that. We've got to realize that there is a toxic relationship here and that there are other people who are suffering because of it, not just in our own country. There are people suffering in China. There are people in Vietnam, uh, Cambodia, Philippines. I could tell you, for example, actually, I, I should say that. Those companies whose owners you know, we don't know. We'll never know who they really are unless they're brought to trial at some point. Yeah. Those companies, a lot of them are based at their headquarters in the Philippines, which has got a very kind of strange law in which Filipinos cannot bet on football games or any kind of sports. But Filipinos welcome companies which uh, are basically online casinos. <laughs> and it's a source of great income for the Filipinos, right? Now, the, the thing is that this Chinese um, in, you know, controlled syndicates have moved to Manila uh, in, in, in their droves. And to the point that at, at, as, as we speak now, I think we estimate that about a quarter of a million Chinese nationals are now based in Manila working for the gambling industry, wow. right? That's a lot. Um, and the problem is that, well, one of the many problems is that these are mostly young men uh, who are taken from mainland China. Uh, some of them have been taken against their will because they had gambling debts, uh, because they had debts full stop. And they're taken there and they find themselves in a country whose language they don't speak and so forth. And usually they're quite young. You know, they, they would be used as um, technical support, whatever. And because of that, something has happened in, in Manila, which is the, the growth of prostitution rings, which are specifically um, created to cater for the needs, if I can say that, I don't like that word, of this particular new population of Manila. I've heard some absolutely heartrending stories about young Filipino girls as young as 14 being drawn into prostitution rings to service 
those new, these incomers. So when you are putting the name of those companies on the shirt of your club, this is not a victimless crime. When you're doing that, you're enabling criminals to do what they want to do. And somehow, even if you're not directly responsible, even if it's all legal, and that's fine, somehow, this girl who is being raped in a hotel in Manila, it's your fault as well. You're part of the system. And I think I, it's, it's really, that's why I think we have to think of this globally and to understand that the relationship between football and gambling money is so toxic, so global, that it, it, this comes with it. This people suffering horribly in their lives. The people here who are gambling addicts, but also the people on the other side of the world who are just as well, you know, just as much of a right to live as we do, and the right to live without being submitted to such appalling abuse. And when we do that, you know, when we say, okay, that's fine, we'll take the money, we'll have this name on our shirt, and that's cool because in a way they don't operate here, you know. It's a bit like you sending your nuclear waste or your plastic to a landfill in Turkey or, or Congo, and then you forget about it. Well, I'm sorry, my friend, what you've just done is about the worst thing you could possibly do. And I do think that for, as fans, we have a duty to tell our clubs, you might have thought you were doing something okay. You might not know about this because to be honest, that's the thing I, I should insist on. People in football are not aware of all this. I wasn't aware of all this until I was given a few leads, you know, by a whistleblower. I had no idea about what was happening. It could be that Fulham has no idea what is going on. And by the way, if you're listening to that, my friends at Fulham, and I've got quite a few friends at Fulham, if you want to talk to me, do it. If you want to call me, call me, you've got my number. We have to realize that this is not, that we're being complicit. We are enablers, and by being enablers, we're complicit in something which is not a victimless crime. And it could be that W88 is an absolutely amazing company which does everything by the book. To be honest, I haven't seen any proof of it, and I'd love to see it. And I'd love to make sure that um, Fulham Football Club has done the necessary work to ensure that it was the case. Yeah, I think there's often a danger, isn't there? Because it's a problem elsewhere. It's illegal in, in Asia. It's illegal in China. It's illegal that we can just go, well, it's it's not a problem here in, in the UK. Yeah. And, and yes, of course, people are interested in gambling, in UK gambling companies and the effects that it has on people here at home and and. and you know, suicides that happen from gambling. Obviously that is awful. And that is, a rightful, it's awful. That's, it's a rightful, awful. that's a rightful campaign that is also being fought, but this is almost a separate issue. Gambling problems, just because it's in, in another country in Asia, doesn't just mean it's not there or that we shouldn't care. This is still human beings being affected at the end of the day. Exactly. So it seems like a, a extremely dark and a murky world that uh, sadly Fulham has, whether it can be proved or not potentially entered into. Well, uh, again, it's up to the club to um, to explain, perhaps, to us and to 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 their fans, to its fans, that um, it's satisfied that um, their new partner is somebody that it's uh, it's okay to do business with. Fulham is no different from many others, which is not, you know, there should be no whataboutery about that. Right. It's possible to be uh, to be clean when it comes to that. 
are plenty of other clubs which are clean, not necessarily in the Premier League. Just the same way, I'm an Arsenal fan, as you probably know, and I have questioned and I can carry on questioning the relationship that Arsenal Football Club has with uh, Rwanda, which is a dictatorship and a brutal dictatorship. And um, I will carry on doing it and asking the questions. So I would say to Fulham fans, do exactly the same, same thing, ask the questions. If the answers come and the answers are satisfactory, well, I'll be the first person to clap and to say, well, well done, Fulham. You found the one Asian-facing gambling company that is not actually part of this awful landscape. And, uh, and I will then ask, uh, I will tell my club as well to say, if you want an Asian-facing betting company, you should get W88 because Fulham have found that they were really great people. Well, you know, maybe that will happen. Maybe that won't. Um, Seems unlikely. But, uh, well, you know, we cannot presume, but... To be honest, if judging by what's happened beforehand, yes, it is pretty unlikely that it is going to happen uh, indeed. Philippe, I know you asked uh, us to make this less than 10 minutes uh, and we've massively <laughs> um, gone over, but uh, thank you for your time on this topic. I know that you're particularly passionate about it. And um, of course, your website, which uh, you can find the link on your Twitter account, uh, has plenty more on topics such as this and, and others. So Philippe, thank you for your time. Thank you very much. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast is Sammy here back with Jack Collins and Peter Rutzler. Thank you very much to Philippe O'Clair. Pretty damning stuff on our new sponsor W88 there. Uh, Make sure you follow Philippe on Twitter. Um, He's often got pretty explosive takes on numerous topics, um, just like gambling. Uh, He particularly enjoys going after uh, FIFA, UEFA, basically any footballing authority. Uh, uh, Philippe's normally got some uh, pretty uh, damning things to say. Pretty hefty beef. (laughs) Yeah, but um, he's a a lovely, lovely man and uh, I really appreciate him giving up some time to chat to Fulhamish today. Uh, Just before we finish the pod, guys, um, some questions from listeners. Uh, We've got some good ones today. Um, So I wanted to get your thoughts on them. Uh, This one from Scott Kellogg, kind of related a bit to what we just chatted about with Philippe O'Claire. And, and this one, I read it out the other day and I was like, oh, I really need to have a think about this. Um, he said, hey guys, love the podcast. I felt compelled to write in uh, with all the negative energy being directed at Fulham stemming from the Manor Solomon loan deal, the W88 sponsorship and the Liverpool ticket prices. Fulham is taking a ton of blame by analysts and fans that I follow despite Fulham doing nothing illegal in all three cases. My question is, why do so many fans look to Fulham, a Premier League soccer club in a cutthroat billion dollar league as a model of morality? Maybe I'm jaded, but isn't it expected that any club in this type of league would prioritise winning and revenue over morality? Personally, I love rooting for Fulham, but I have plenty of other people and organisations in my life that I use for morality and ethical responsibility. Fulham could win, lose, use a gambling sponsorship or exploit a financial loophole. I never absorb those actions as a reflection of myself and what I am personally, but it seems like lots of fans do. So I'm curious to hear your perspective on why that is. Thanks from Scott. Um, Jack, I'm going to throw you that hospital pass uh, to absorb what Scott says. But I, I read it and I was like, it's a bloody good point. But also I kind of disagree with you because I do want my football club to have some morals and some ethics, but also I don't know why we're painting Fulham always in this picture of absolute, you need to be 100% 
ethical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think my my kind of point here is maybe you know hypocrisy as opposed to using Fulham as a, a benchmark of morality. I would say that I think it's I think it's hypocritical to put up the Ukraine flag and say we stand with Ukraine and make you know make a you know have the whole point about solidarity and then use a financial loophole to exploit a Ukrainian club. I think it's hypocritical to come out and say football is for the fans during COVID and it, we are nothing without the fans and then price them out. I think it's hypocritical to suggest that Fulham are fat, you know, a family club, you know, the Fulham family do all of this work around what the club stands for as a unit and then potentially use a gambling sponsor that kids can't have on their shirts. I don't understand, you know, I'm not suggesting that Fulham need to be the benchmark of morality and that's fine, but don't I wouldn't I would say that if if you're using empty gestures and they're not backing them up that's hypocrisy for me that's not morality and I, I don't mind the club being you know well I, I don't use the club as a benchmark of morality but I do dislike hypocrisy and I think that's my that's where I'm at on this I think that the what the club's actions don't re- reflect what the you know the the brand that they're potentially trying to throw out is and that's the thing that sticks in my jaw. I think that's the that's the bit of this that makes it uncomfortable for me. Um, I completely get what you're saying. It is a, you know a murky cloak and dagger world. All of it, football sponsorship, you know loopholes, finances. But and I do think that there are clubs that get it right. And Fulham of late appear to score own goal after own goal in this matter. And I think that's what that's what makes me sad. You know. F- uh, we talked about this a little bit before, but you know, some people will say foot, football clubs are businesses, and you know, obviously they are. But for me, they first and foremost they're a pillar of community. They're about you know support a local area and and being that kind of thing that draws people together and and, and brings people in and and brings people together. Um, that it should be helping out the local communities. That they should be developing sport within the area. They should be investing money into facilities. These are all things that kind of should spread from a football club, as far as I'm concerned. And maybe I'm a you know a romantic, and this is no longer the way of the world. But that's how I see football. I think it's Bill Shankly who says, you know, socialism. I believe in is everyone working for each other, everyone getting a share of the rewards. It's the way I see football. It's the way I see life, and. It's always been a quote that I've tried to kind of draw by. You know, it's it's one of those that I look at and, you know, I think that's it. It's, it's about working together. It's about being part of something. It's about then being able to share in the rewards of said club. And, you know, I'm lucky enough, as I've said on here before, to spend time looking at European football and understanding how clubs work in different places. And, you know, especially in Germany, you know, if you go and see the fans of, of someone like Union Berlin, and when they got promoted, I remember the fans being on the pitch and it wasn't about the fans going to celebrate with the players. It was about the players wanting to celebrate with the fans because this is a club that is, has been through so much and it belongs, you know, the players are very much, we're here. And, and this is the thing, an attitude in Germany, no player is bigger than the club because the club endures and the club is its fan base. And, and that's why the 50 plus one rule is so important there and, and why, why German football is affordable and why things work in Germany on so many levels. And I know Arch talked about this a couple of weeks back, but it's something that I think we can aspire to. You know, the, the football clubs are meant to be more than just a business model. 
And if Fulham were run in a way that made me proud and, you know, we were members and, and socios, for example, like they do in Barcelona, and you were able to feel like you were genuinely part of something, then I think that ties you to a club deeper than winning and losing and being promoted and relegated. I think there's something more than that. And, and I wish that we were able to buy in in some way to, to that kind of style. I think also... With with this conversation, I think I think Jack's right. I think it's it's the, the it's the saying one thing and then acting in a different way. But the thing is, Fulham do a lot of good. Like last year, if you think back to last year, the stuff they were doing, you know, obviously remember the how they handled uh, Paul Parish uh, and the Blackpool game, um, the work that the Fulham Foundation do. I mean, they held a, a refugee tournament recently at Motspur Park, like, and it's those those things are really good, and that actually does to what Fulham do and they probably should be spoken about more that they do them but it's when you do something like this it almost overshadows the good that they do do and it's it's counterintuitive it's not like a massive diversion from from being that family club being that community-oriented club to to do that to make these sort small changes it's just as Jack said they're just kind of own goals in a way you know it's 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 avoidable, um, and that's probably what makes it a bit more frustrating because it overshadows some of the good that the club do. Yeah, I just think some of these recent episodes is changing my perception. Where I always used to think Fulham was a club that could be held above other clubs. Um, a lot of people talk about Fulham being a family club, and now, other than it being a slight, I mean, slightly less intimidating place than other stadia. But I think some of the things that we've seen last season with all of the issue over limbs and stuff like that, are we any better than any other ground now? I just wonder if the whole family club and Fulham being a different football club from any other, I just don't see it anymore. Did you remember, do you remember that video, Sammy? I think it was 2009. They did that video. It was like Fulham, a proper football club. And it was about yes, doing things a different way. And uh, I'll find it and I'll put it and I'll send it to you to put in the link for this episode. It was about what Fulham stood for. I feel like those values don't exist anymore. And, and look, if that is how it is, then I guess fine. But I don't think you can expect the fan base to go out there and, you know, repeat the line that we are a different football club, that we're a special football club or club. We have a nice ground that doesn't make us a special football club. And it's, it's what the club does and the actions that it takes. And every club has a foundation. Every club does good work in the community. Um, I'm not knocking what Fulham does, but that's my opinion that the recent episodes are very quickly changing my mind that Fulham is any kind of different or special football club than others. Does it mean I won't be supporting us uh, against Liverpool and desperately wanting us to win and do well on the pitch? Absolutely not. Of course I'll be there and I'll, and I'll, I'll do that for the rest of my life and, and we all will. But I just think that we're eroding the special club, the family club, um, tag that has been attached to, to Fulham for so long. And I think your point about hypocrisy, Jack, is the most spot on thing here. It's just like, don't say your one thing and then and then act in other ways. Say that we've missed the fans or everything and then charge £100 tickets. Um, as you say, uh, say that we're a different, a special, uh, a morally uh, correct football club and then partner with WA8, if we've heard, have a pretty... Um, 
big issues uh, going on there. And Fulham have obviously just changed the pound signs. That's fine. You can do that if you want, which you're a business you're entitled to. And, and your point, Scott, is very correct. I think it's a really good email and it's a really thought provoking one. Um, and yeah, maybe that's just what Fulham is now. It is a cutthroat billion dollar soccer league and we're not a model of morality. We're just a football club that wants to win first and foremost. Uh, let's come on to um, Daryl Brugnick. He says, uh, this is about uh, centre-backs. Obviously we talked about it a bit earlier, but um, this is his take on it. He says, hi Fulhamish, I'm on panic stations with our centre-backs and have been for several weeks. At this point, I'd be happy if we brought in two quality centre-backs and that was it for the transfers. I've got to believe that this was a priority for Silva and Tony Khan before the window opened, but I'm starting to question whether it is. How about Joe Rodon on a loan with an option to buy if we stay up. Certainly there are other centre-backs from big six or top half of the table clubs that could use a loan spell and regular playing time at Fulham. Is it possible that no quality centre-backs want to come to the club? And that's from Daryl in Milwaukee. Jack. <laughs> I don't think it will. We, I don't think we'll end this window with no centre-backs. Um, Joe Rodon. Yes. Like it. I think it's probably a relatively sensible move. Um, Reminds me a little bit of the Callum Chambers move from a couple of years back. Um, although I think Rodon is very much not a centre defensive midfielder. I think he is a centre back. Um, I'd like Dan Axel Zagadou from Borussia Dortmund. Um, potential injury issues aside, a very, very good young player with a good ceiling who's just not going to see game time at Dortmund. And then I think we can. there's, there's a load of centre backs in France waiting to be picked up. Um, you know, the French market we've seen over the last couple of years has struggled um their finances there are a little bit out so anyone apart from psg and nice to a point it's pretty fair game um and i think there's a lot of talent in liga at the moment especially at center back and there's a host of names that i could i could throw at you but i won't i won't for now um but there is lots of talent in liga i think i think fulham will get two center backs through the door i think maybe three but We'll definitely get two. I just wonder how many of them will be permanent deals. Um, that's my big, big question on the matter. Yeah, I would really like Levi Colwell. I, I think that seems like such a sensible transfer to me, but I know that Chelsea will ask big money um, for him and, and, and that will make it uh, difficult for Fulham from a financial fair play point of view. But I thought he was class for Huddersfield last year. I think it would work, but um, yeah, I, to be honest, I, I kind of agree with. Uh, Daryl, at this point, just take anyone, just anyone. If you, can you play centre back? I'll, I'll find someone from like a five. Millie Bright, in. can you play centre back? Millie rock. Bright, come on. <laughs> rock. Honestly, you could throw a fridge at her, and she'd she'd head it about out the eighteen yard box. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, two more questions here. Uh, this one from Patrick Lane. Uh, this is very much to you, Jack. Uh, he says, um, dear Thursday club on behalf, of what I'm sure is a small, but loyal Australian based audience. I just wanted to thank you for making us feel so close to the club. We love, even though we are so far away. Good day to all of our Australian listeners. He says, I've been watching your heat wave with great sympathy. I live in a remote dust bowl part of Australia where temperatures in the forties are commonplace almost every day in our summer months. And I usually watch Fulham games live here at 2am in stifling temperatures. It makes, the cold looking Craven Cottage feel a world away. My question to you um, is to all of you, but especially Jack. I'm not new to Fulham. I fell in love with the club when I spent a year living in London, which just so happened to coincide with our memorable Europa League season. 
but I'm hoping to expand my football interests this year and find a La Liga club now that the broadcast rights have changed in Australia and it's more accessible. I want to know, is there a La Liga club that you can recommend that perhaps has some synergies with Fulham, whether it be the club's DNA, ground, fortunes or fans? Is there a club that you think could be Spain's answer to Fulham? And if not, do you have any suggestions for a club to get behind? I love a battle up with character, a great kit. And if they have a brilliant English podcast, it would be a big bonus too. Come on, you whites, love the show from Pat. So Jack, your thoughts? Um, it's a really hard one, isn't it? I, my, I mean, I'm, I'm a Betis fan uh, for my sins, but I would suggest that there's not all that much um, synergy between the two, apart from um, that kind of feeling that you're going to lose every week even if you're three nil up with five minutes to play um that's the only thing that that the links the two clubs i would suggest I, I really enjoy it i had a really good chat um with someone on on twitter years back um but i can't remember for the life of me i've got a funny feeling he was a hatafe fan and he was linking he he suggested that hatafe were fulham's uh, were la liga's answers to Fulham um it's obviously a, a a team in Madrid but a smaller team within a big city with some big rivals around it they bounce between divisions um a little bit it's got a really cool stadium the Coliseum Afonso Perez um they're a very they're a real battly side to be fair Hatafe so I feel like they might be I think they might be a vibe um it's not always pretty they survived relatively comfortably in the end last season, although it did look quite stressful for a little while. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think that's probably an interesting one. I don't know if they have an English language podcast. Um, I'm sure I'm sure they must. Um, but I would suggest that Hitafe might be one to look at. But if not, you're more than welcome to come and join me at, at Azabetico. It's a wonderful place and Seville is is quite the destination. Um, that's Getafe, by the way, for uh, any uh, non-Spanish speaking uh, uh, listeners, just in case they're not understanding your pronunciation there, Jack. I know that you uh, pride yourself on... Uh... I try my best. We did get an email the other day saying Jack's pronunciation isn't as good as he thinks, and I absolutely <laughs> know. Um, I'm well aware of this. I'm just trying. That's all I can say. Just trying. Um, it's definitely not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, um, but I try my best. I like that you try. It's nice. Uh, and finally, this one from Keith Dotty says, hello, Fulhamish team. I've been a Fulham fan following this team in the States since the 09-10 season. Oh, coincidental. Uh, in the few weeks, I'm going to be attending your lovely country on holiday. My attempt is to get tickets for the Brentford match. If I'm successful in getting tickets, this will be my first football match I've attended in person. As a match attending novice, I was hoping you could provide me with some do's and don'ts for attending a match at the cottage or football matches in general. The last thing I want is to inadvertently commit a social faux pas and just be looked at as another American tourist. Thanks for any advice you have. Love the pod and the work you do. That's from Keith from Boston. Um, so any do's and don'ts uh, for what Keith must do to, uh, I mean, uh, part of me just thinks, do you do you, um, Keith. Don't, don't wear like another to... team's football shirt. <laughs> yes, that's quite a good don't. Um, Peter, any do's and don'ts? I mean, if he wants to fit in, I feel like he shouldn't have to feel like he needs to fit in. He should just be himself. But yes, I guess maybe not wearing a wrong football team shirt is is, is, a, is a good one. I, I just had a fairly yeah. obvious There was one. a kid running around in a Chelsea shirt at the Hammersmith end last year, and I did did feel like quite ill yeah 
Yeah, I don't want to police it too much, but you know, half and half scarves don't always go down so well. So um, yes, if, yes, avoid yeah. the half and half scarves. They're not that. That's not going to yeah. go down well. If you Particularly want to fit in, Brentford, don't bring one of them banners saying "Can I have your shirt?" because they are a scourge on the game. <laughs> <laughs> what if that's your kids? No, 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 no. If my kids wanted to bring a banner, I'd literally be like, "Nah, you're all right. You're not coming." Well, then they're crying on the way home because you're not, his dad's not letting them have um, like a shirt and all their one, friends. One, are the one. chances are so low that you're going to get one. And two, it's like, well, Beggy. I think it was Squeeze, wasn't it? They said, um, I'd beg for some forgiveness, but begging's not my business. So, yeah, it's Beggy. <laughs> don't like, don't like Beggy. So I'm going to say no. I would say some do's is. First of all, try and make sure you walk one of the good ways to Craven Cottage, either down from Hammersmith along the river or through Bishop's Park. Um, make sure you get to a nice traditional Fulham pub in plenty of time before and after. Um, just go on your own. You'll meet loads of people. It'll be great. Um, Golden Lion is the classic example, but there's other lots of good booze. coming from Hammersmith, the Chancellor's is wicked. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think other than that, though, just, you know, embrace it. Don't wear a half and half scarf. I think that's probably um, as, as good an advice as, uh, as we can give. Get stuck in. Yeah, back the lads. Back the lads. Yes, that's get it. Get stuck in. Punch a Brentford fan. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Find Billy. No, I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> if you see someone called Billy the Bee, just like R- shout refuse at them. To sp- yeah, refuse to give him an interview. <laughs> Oh God, Billy the Beat, I miss him. Right, okay, let's finish the pod there. Uh, We just need to name it. As ever, we go to the Fulhamish community uh, to get podcast names when it's not after matches. Uh, There's some good ones today. I'll read out some of the uh, nominations. Jack, feel free to chip in with which one you think deserves to be the pod name. Uh, Dan Cook, our very own, says CB, Esther really needed. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, another one of our own, Jack Kelly. I don't get this one, but maybe there's something. It said Solomon's plead. No, I'm glad you um, don't get it either. No. Okay. No, I thought there was a clever oh, Is it solo man's, like as in one man's plea? Yeah. Oh, I'm not, it's not working for me, Jack, I'm afraid. Uh, Ross no, said Sultan. Uh, we didn't co- really cover this transfer. It didn't really work as the pod name, but uh, Ross says Sultan Vinagre. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, nice. Yeah, yeah. Red wine vinagre. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, one, one, he's going to Everton, so let's definitely not call it that. Um, Nev says, Marco's not happy. Uh, James Trapmore says, man of the moment. Which I oh, think nice. is quite nice. And then yeah, Jack yeah. Finn, Marco's solo mission. Um, yeah. so I think those last two, uh, should be the pod name man of the moment or Marco's solo mission. Jack, oh, I what, did what do you like think? CB's Esther really needed. <laughs> That's really good. Do you want to go with that? Well, it's your, your, go I, on, I your think, choice, your choice. I think so. I think we're going to have to give it to that. That's really good. CB's right. Esther really needed. Okay. What a wonderful place, by the way. What a lovely place. Cascais is. Um, yeah, I'm um, nice. I'm disappointed. I was disappointed. That was the one when I looked at the preseason fixtures that I I kind of was most up for doing. Obviously, the Algarve tour did look fun, but I just there was something it did look lovely, um, particularly with the synergy of it being Marco's old club and also nice. By the way, before the match, how um, uh, uh, Estoril uh, gave Marcus Silva kind of a commemorative shirt. Isn't one of the stands named in his honour? Yeah, the leading fan. I was told uh, had a tattoo of Marco Silva with a trophy on his back. Amazing. Wow. 
That is quite something. Organization. So they do they do like him over there. Oh, well, it was uh, a good win for Fulham. Good to make another signing, although uh, some more signings definitely needed. Uh, we are back twice a week from next week. That is it. No more breaks. Uh, straight through crew all the way until May. So we will be back. Uh, be Tuesday when that one's released. Uh, looking back at the Villarreal game, um, which is our final friendly of the pre-season uh, at Craven Cottage. I think it's uh, on Sunday, 3 p.m. kickoff, if I'm not, I'm not mistaken, for, for that one. So enjoy it if you're heading there. Um, and then this time next week, uh, myself, Jack and Peter will be doing a full season preview with, yes, predictions that we will regret come May. Uh, we'll be getting uh, Jack and Peter's take on the whole league, where Fulham will be finishing uh, and how Fulham will fare um, as the season rolls around. Uh, and thank you to Jack and Peter. Jack, thank you very much. Thank you, Sammy. Thank you as ever. And Peter, thank you. No, thank you for having me. Always appreciate it. Uh, have a lovely weekend. Hopefully Fulham can get a positive result in the final pre-season game. But until then, come you whites. You whites. You whites.